You were listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 193 and 194 of our Reading Through the Bible in a Year program. Of course, we are engaging this in the oral tradition. We're trying Mm -hmm. to talk through it and not just simply read it, but make sense of it. Share the stories as those stories kind of intersect with our story. We are in 2 Kings and we're getting close to the... Wait, today we finish 2 Kings. Yes, today. Whee! Today... Our Old Testament reading is 2 Kings, chapters 23 through 25. So we finished the book of Acts yesterday, Mm -hmm. and we're finishing the book of 2 Kings today. This is very exciting. Mm -hmm. We're doing it, you guys. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're slowly making our way through the story, but the end of 2 Kings is a devastating... I mean, it's it's, a roller coaster. It's a total roller coaster, but it ends with like the slightest glimmer of hope. So let's get to it. Yeah. We are in the middle of, or actually chapter 23, right? Yeah. Josiah. So, so we're in the middle of Josiah's reign. Yes. That's so Josiah, again, was the, the king prophesied about from the first Jeroboam. The prophet from Samaria, right? Yeah. 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 And so, uh, oh no, he was from, I think he was a prophet from Judah. The prophet from Samaria was the one who tricked him. Um, and told him to eat at his house. But oh. yes, yeah. So the That's prophet the from bones he saves. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So the prophet from Judah, two hundred years before this event, yeah. prophesied about Josiah and what Josiah would do. All in chapter twenty-three. So Josiah is <clears throat> the eight-year-old king who grows up. Mm-hmm. And I do have a question for you. I have two questions for you to consider as we talk about this. One, why do they always say the mom's name? That the mothers are always included in all these kings. Mm-hmm. I forget why again. And then two, what's the deal with Kidron? But we have to get there. Okay. So just the, the narrative part of this is he does what, he continues to do what God has commanded. Now he has the word of God mm-hmm. that has been read to him. Mm-hmm. And I think he's doing the first and most basic job of a king of God's people, which is to read the law to the people. Yes. And make a covenant to keep it. So make a promise by the help of God, we want to keep this. And so he does something that hasn't been recorded being done since, I mean, did David? David did it, I think. David did it. But it's been <clears throat> a solid, you know, 500, 600 years since something like this had been done, or, or maybe a couple hundred years at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so he reads the word of God, everybody. Everyone says, we want to follow this. Yes. And this begins a slow kind of purging. He, he goes through and breaks down. There's a huge list in chapter 23. Really, one through verse one through twenty one twenty, yeah, where it's astonishing the things that had made their way into everyday life of the temple. Mm-hmm. Things like, I mean, there's just male cultic prostitution going right. on in the temple of God in Jerusalem. Yes, and apparently it had been going on for fifty years. Mm-hmm. There's altars to um, Chamosh and uh, what's his name. Uh, Molech. Molech, where they're sacrificing children. Again, in and around the temple. Right. Yeah, the temple had basically, under Manasseh, become uh, just like a a normal, run-of-the-mill pagan temple. Right. Where they're doing pagan worship and worshiping all a bunch of other gods in God's temple. And Manasseh had filled the streets of Jerusalem with blood, which is a phrase meaning... He killed a bunch of innocent. Anybody who gets in his way Mm -hmm. dies. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible, horrible... But what I'm astonished at, before I get to the Kidron Valley, 
uh, or Kidron, I'm astonished of God's patience. Mm-hmm. That God has been saying now, don't do this, don't do this. I'm going to have to punish you. I'm going to wipe you out. But then you get some kings who repent. And then even Manasseh, who is so awful, uh, there's one thing. If you honestly read this story, you cannot accuse God of being arbitrary, like yes. just all of a sudden <clears throat> being angry and you have to be scared of him because you never he's like a loose cannon who just turns his wrath on you. Yeah. That is the opposite right. of our God as he's being displayed through the scriptures. He is slow to anger, full of mercy and grace. And even in the eventual fall of uh, Jerusalem and, mm-hmm. and Judah, I mean, we're talking 50, 60, 70, another 11 years after mm-hmm. this king. Like yeah. he's giving years and a generation of them being under the curse, knowing what's going to come, but not acting because he's hoping and pleading with them through the prophets, repent. Yes. So don't ever think that God is like, oh, all of a sudden just turns on his people and he's swift. And his, I mean, yeah, it's swift after 738 years or 83 years mm-hmm. of working with you. He's so slow. So I praise God for that. Josiah goes through, breaks down all the high places, just systematically goes through <clears throat> Jerusalem and Samaria. Mm-hmm. Like he has access because uh, Syria is being um, hurt by Babylon. Yeah, so Syria has lost a lot of control. Right. Um, and Babylon's coup, remember when they showed up to Hezekiah and was trying to offer treaties with him, has finally worked. And they uh, took Nineveh, and now Israel's kind of like a free agent yeah and that's yeah that was probably during the time of Hezekiah you said did you say Hezekiah when the king remember the words and yeah 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 and so that started the decline for Assyria Assyria, so Manasseh gets to do all this crazy stuff because Mm -hmm. he's under no real threat right because of the because Hezekiah was such an awesome dude but what he breaks all these things he even breaks the bones of like bad kings and prophets, and he, they do a lot of throwing the bones, the uh, ground up bones in the, in the Kidron. Yeah, in the brook or the valley. So yeah. uh, that was right outside. So remember, Jerusalem's set up on like a mountain mm-hmm. almost. Like it's a, when they always say they're going up to Jerusalem, it's because they're going up this mountain. And so on either side, there's valleys, and the Kidron Valley was where the trash heap was. Oh, the trash and, heap. And so. They were throwing everything in the trash heap, and that's where like fires are constantly going. That's where all the references to like hell is like the Kidron Valley or Gehenna is mm-hmm. like the trash heap. And so this is where uh, Josiah was sending all the images to the idols and everything. He was burning it and getting rid of everything in the trash heap. Nice and desecrating it. Yep, perfect. Mm-hmm. And then what was the thing about the moms? I'm just I know it's um, been going on for some time, but they always say the moms. Is that so, just to show lineage? Like? I think it's to show lineage. I think again, uh, most kings probably had multiple wives, and so you had to differentiate between like, well, he was this son was from this wife. Oh yeah. Uh, and then also there's this idea that it's always listed right next to whether the king followed the Lord or not. Yeah. And so the mom, as the caretaker and most immediate. Uh, uh, person in charge of raising the child because right. the king most likely did not. He raise was an any absent, of the, absent father. Most kings were probably absent fathers, and so the mom was probably responsible for whether or not the child grew up with the Lord or against the Lord. Uh, I wonder. Do, do we know? Do other cultures have the women listed, or know. is that uh, that one I don't a know. god thing? Because 
at the very beginning, it's like the seed of the woman. There's mm-hmm. a ho- there's kind of this oh, very true. hope for people's in the people of God, where the seed of the mm. woman's going to be our king, and so it matters mm-hmm. to us. I just I'm curious. Oh, that's I don't, true. I don't have the. Uh, that's true. I'm curious because that would be a unique feature of mm-hmm. Christianity and the people of God is that we do highly prize women. They carry the salvation of the world, mm-hmm. and so we we care about that. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so Josiah brings back the Passover. <clears throat> And this is where we get the uh, idea. Uh, yeah, and then you, we talked about real quick about him going through the north. Yeah, you said the north. He went. He went through all of Israel. Yeah. And destroyed everything that even Jeroboam. Even Israel. Yeah, he was able to travel all over the place. Yeah, he got rid of the, the golden calves and the yes, and the Dan altar. And that, yeah, yeah. He, he, he he did everything. Josiah was more zealous and better. Like he is the best. In fact, the Bible actually says like there is no one. Better than yeah, Josiah. Yeah, they said this about Hezekiah, but now that Josiah's here, they're like, man, Josiah was even more uh, intense because he not only purified Judah, but he went into the north Israel, of yeah. Israel and purified that place as well. And I don't know how long it took him, but then he kind of opened up the Passover yes. in the most zealous possible way. And I, I imagine Chronicles will tell us all that he did because mm-hmm. I think there's it was a huge, huge deal. But for Kings, it's just saying this guy brought back the Passover. It definitely had not been kept mm-hmm. uh, through Manasseh. May- Hezekiah did a little Passover. But again, yeah. with Hezekiah, it's, he's like kind of a trailblazer. So yes. things are more local. Mm-hmm. You know, he's locally doing things the best he can. Whereas Josiah is, uh, it's a perfect time. And it feels like God's opening up this time. It's the perfect time to reestablish things. But um, yeah, so I think we already heard that uh, he, he's not going. He says, "I'm only going to do this for you, Josiah." Yeah, like he's saying. So Josiah, it kind of feels like he's even trying to make like a last ditch effort. Yeah, to be like he understands Lord, the Lord. Lord, please, we we got this. We can do this. But the, even after he's done everything, the Lord's like, uh, "Yeah, no, well, I'm still." Think about it like this. I'm Just, still getting rid of everything. Josiah actually is returning to the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So as he's reading the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you're seeing all that they've broken, mm-hmm. but you're also hearing there's the blessing and the yeah. curse, right? Yeah. And so he's hoping we can get the blessing mm-hmm. by repenting, which is a true hope. But God says, yeah, it's, it's actually too late for that. Too little too late. Because the next guy is going to be bad. And so God has to use what I'm calling the curse option. Yeah. So like even the option in putting my name. Remember when he says, I'm putting my name in this mm-hmm. temple. I'm putting my name in this place. He also says, if you leave me and you never return, like when you leave me, you return, I'll forgive you. If you leave me and you act like I'll, I have to then leave you. And they agreed to this. I mean, if you remember, they stood on Mount Ebal and Gerizim yes. and announced the blessings and curses in Back the covenant of God to one another and over each other and over the land. Now, to be fair, it is like 400, you know. Years of breaking the covenant. Is it 738 years since the time of Judges? Because there's a line where it says he's the first one to keep the Passover since the time of the Judges. Yeah, 783 which, years. Yeah, so, I mean... So even those blessing and cursing, that was done when they start to take the land, but mm-hmm. the judges were there after we took the land, right? Yeah. We came in, took yeah. the land with Joshua, and then there was judges. Mm-hmm. So it's been a solid seven years since everyone agreed, or 700 years. years. Yeah. And so um, I can understand that, but it's still really sad. But it's also a testimony to the fact that God has not forgotten, mm-hmm. and God's been super gracious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, America's only 200, almost 250 I mean, years he could, old. He could have destroyed everything after Solomon. Yeah. Easily. 
Or even David. I mean, he could have destroyed everything when David took a census and was like, I want to be God. Yeah. Anyway, so God is super gracious, but he has to use the curse option. And he says, I'm taking my name off this. And then we finally get a uh, the downfall of Josiah, which I think it's, it's, it's definitely more expanded on in uh, Chronicles. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. we get the... Cliff Notes version of Josiah's downfall here. Um, Pharaoh, uh, Necho, yeah. is going up and he's trying to take back some of Israel. He's trying to join up with, I think a, um, I think he was trying to join up with the Assyria now to kind of yeah, team was. up against Babylon. Yeah. And, and Josiah's like, no, I'm not going to lose Israel I'm not gonna lose I I finally like he's regained like the territory of David and right. he's like I'm not losing this but in a serious twist of irony mm-hmm. the king the pharaoh yeah sees him and immediately kills him yes and so the, he goes up against pharaoh and pharaoh kills him and so then he goes back and is buried uh with his fathers in Jerusalem and his son uh Jehoahaz yeah comes up and he's got a nice three months yeah Jehoahaz is 23 years old he gets three months in office and manages to uh like start to bring back all the bad things yes and I'm trying to think was no okay so he he gets set up the the people set him up set Jehoahaz up right after Josiah and then Necho comes in after killing Josiah and Uh, takes Jerusalem and takes uh, Jehoahaz and then he sets up uh, Jehoiakim up, his brother. But he renames him Jehoiakim. His real name is like Eliakim or something. Yes. But to show, I have power, Mm -hmm. I'm renaming you, you're my puppet king. Yes. He, that's the guy who in three months he resets all the evil. Yes. So all the work... Jehoahaz, yes. All the work that... uh, Josiah had done is now undone in three easy months, showing it's so much easier to corrupt mm-hmm. than it is to build up. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we get Jehoiakim, the puppet king for Pharaoh, and he is re- he reigns for eleven years. Is he the puppet king for Pharaoh or mm-hmm. for Babylon? For Pharaoh. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Okay. And he uh, he lasts eleven years. Mm-hmm. But during that time, I mean, I, that's what is shocking. Like, mm-hmm. there's eleven years to make things right. Yeah. But Nebuchadnezzar, now we get into chapter 24, and this is where we meet Nebuchadnezzar, the king mm-hmm. of Babylon. He's already been powerful. So he overtakes everything. He takes Pharaoh. He kills Necho. And then, yeah. uh, so Jehoiakim's like, okay, you're my master now. And he serves him for three years, but then turns against him, which is well, kind be- of a bad move at this point. Is it before that, though, there is some peace from Babylon? Like, they're kind of being left alone. For three years. And Judah gets attacked from all sides by the all the people they should have wiped out, like Chaldeans, oh, no, no, Syrians, no, no. Moab. Uh, I thought that was under... Um, yes, that's under Jehoiakim, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he rebels against him, but then all the other um, areas that are under uh, Babylon rule now are coming up against him. They're all coming up against him, and mm-hmm. then... That's when Jehoiachin, the next guy, gets three months. And he's evil. And all the gold and all the craftsmen and all the warriors, they're taken. Um, this is when... I'm trying to remember when Babylon 
It's just starting to... Is it Babylon or... Um... Yeah, so Babylon... So when Jehoiakim is set up... I'm getting confused. I know. So when Jehoiakim is set up um, and Nebuchadnezzar beats Pharaoh, Necho... Okay. He goes through and takes a bunch of the royal family. And so yes, Daniel... The first, this is the first deportation yeah, by Yeah, Daniel is okay. deported in the beginning of Jap- chapter 24. And all of like the craftsmen, the warriors, all the best. Well, that gets later. Oh, okay. Yes. So he does like an initial like, like skim. cream of the crop. Let me like, skim some. He stuff, just yeah. skims like the best of the best from uh, Jerusalem there. Then three years later, Jehoiakim rebels, and then he's getting raided by all these other uh, vassal states okay. loyal to Babylon. Then uh, finally, uh, how does Jehoiachin? Jehoiachin just. Um, Jehoiakim dies, and we don't know why or how, but Jehoiachin then he, he got three replaces months. him. And then that's where Babylon's like, all right, we got to take this revolt seriously, and they go in and wipe okay, Jehoiachin so, out. And then Jeho- but then Nebuchadnezzar leaves a 21-year-old king over kind of the looted ruins of Jerusalem. His name is changed to Zedekiah. So that's where we get Zedekiah. Yes. So, okay, let me... Let me try to make this all square in my brain. Yeah, yeah. Basically, you get a bunch of rulers for three months now. The 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 end has already begun. Mm-hmm. So it's just slowly kind of in shifts, destroying and stealing all the best things from Jerusalem, yes. the temple. Yes. Okay, and this is happening. The <clears throat> all I would say all the uh, structures were initially destroyed. Mm-hmm. By the surrounding places, mm-hmm. you know, you could say Egypt, Assyria, Syria, mm-hmm. um, the Ammonites, all the, but now the big dog has come in mm-hmm. and that's Babylon. Yes. And Babylon's coming in and just cleaning up. Cleaning and, house. Cleaning yes. house. And so Zedekiah is there. And Jehoiachin doesn't die. He is taken to Babylon captive. As kind of uh, booty. Yeah. Like you're my captive king. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and power, and all these games are going on. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, he does set up Zedekiah, who should be basically working for Babylon mm-hmm. in this area. But what happens is, there's a series, this kind of happens over and over again, the assigned king of Babylon, like the kings can't even obey their powerful masters. You know, They start mm-hmm. rebelling and saying, oh, we don't want to be under Babylon, even though God's like, you know what? <coughs> I'm working something out right here. Just chill. They rebel. Yeah. And then Babylon has to come now and do what... It, you get the feeling it doesn't want to say, look, we don't want to come and waste our resources on this area necessarily because mm-hmm. we're getting the best of it and then we're happy mm-hmm. to like set up puppet governments and you pay us and it's fine. But then it turns into a bigger deal and so Babylon has to go out there and they siege Jerusalem Yes, for two years. It kind of takes two years to yes. starve them out, break down everything, take all the gold, all they break down everything in the temple and ship it away. Like they, anything that's of value. They break down basically all the walls of Jerusalem. They right. wipe it out yeah. completely and they exile everyone. They carry everyone away except for like a select few like poor people. Poor people to... To tend the earth. Yeah, tend the earth. Make sure the vines don't get out of control. Now here's what's amazing about this. All Every other country in the world, including Babylon and Assyria, mm-hmm. have been forgotten. Yes. No one... There's no one who's descendants of them. We don't talk about the Babylonians today. Yeah. Yet there are Jews. Yes. And so they should have been forgotten like all other countries, mm-hmm. like all other people. But... 
the beauty, the, the, this is all devastation and this mm-hmm. is all sadness. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to live through this. But God is not done with his people. people. Yeah. And that's what we see in uh, the end, really, what, what chapter chapter 24, the very end. 25. Oh, 25, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is uh, you see the last kind of band flee to Egypt. Yes. You know, Nebuchadnezzar does all this. Uh, but then there's this interesting little story at the end where, um, which I think we're ready to go to, yep. with Jehoiach- Jehoiachin. Yep, where he's still alive. He's still alive, but been in prison. And, uh, and then it says he was taken out. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he was taken out of prison, spoke kindly, he was spoken kindly to and given a seat at the king's table. So uh, then he was uh, put on real clothes and he got to eat with the king. Ne- uh, not Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar's son, son at yep. this point. Mm-hmm. And he was given allowance mm-hmm. to live according to his daily needs as long as he lived. So Second Kings ends with a story that reminds me of Mephibosheth, yes. which was uh, Saul. Remember, Saul rebelled against David, and, and David did not wipe out everybody in Saul's line. Mm-hmm. There was little Mephibosheth because he loved, for the sake of Jonathan, yes. he kept Mephibosheth, who ate the king's table, even though he couldn't walk and didn't deserve anything. And you see the end of this tragic story where they've been totally wiped out and decimated. We will learn later, because of the salvation, really, of Nebuchadnezzar, believing in the God of Daniel, he keeps one of the remnants of David. Mm -hmm. For David's sake, God Mm -hmm. is not done. There is a small and incredible remnant. remnant. Like, it is against all odds. We end the kings with great... We start with great... Conquest and victory, we end with complete decimation, mm-hmm. except for this little tiny shimmering of hope. Yes. Toyotin. And really, that little shimmering of hope will turn into 500 years later, Jesus Christ's arrival. Yes. Wow. Thanks, Kings. We are done with you. We're still hoping for a better king at this point in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We get him. His name is Jesus. Let's go to uh, New, Testament, New Testament, New Book. New Book. Our New Testament reading for today is Romans chapter 1. Now, no one understands how great this king is and the dire need for this king and the impossible odds by which this king has come to us more than Paul. Yes. And Paul is the author of the book of Romans. Just as we enter into this book, it's good to remember Paul has done missionary work. And in fact, we just left Paul waiting in prison to meet Nero. Yes, in Rome. Okay. Nero kills him. So I do <laughs> want to give a bit of context yes. for this for this book. So we're getting into letters. like So, so different. So we're getting into letters. Uh, the narrative parts of stories are starting to depart from us. And so for me, it's always helpful to understand why this letter is being written, where it's being written, who it's being written to, because it helps me then be able to understand why or what's being said. So how are we going to talk about, how do you, how are we going to talk about these letters? Well, yeah, so they're not, they're not going, yeah. So um, the way they're in our Bible is actually by length and it's not, by um, chronology, chronology okay. in any form. So Romans was written at the end of Paul's third missionary journey. When he's in Rome? No, no, no. no. He has not been. In, he has not been to Rome. He's at the end of his third missionary journey. He's collecting money 
for Jerusalem because there's okay. a famine in Jerusalem. He's going to all the Gentile churches. Remember, he has that moment where he's passing by Ephesus, but he knows he can't go to Ephesus or else he'll stay there forever. Like, at the end of that, that's where he's beginning to write okay. this letter to Rome. And so what's happened is he's heard about this church in Rome. He's heard that that there's a, a group of believers out there, and he wants to go there to talk to them. And so he hasn't talked to them yet. This is one of the few letters that he's writing to an audience he hasn't specifically been or knows anyone okay, there. Okay, good to know. So this is a blind letter. This is a blind letter. That's why it's the longest and most like comprehensive comprehensive of his theology. Yes. This is the Romans is the book if you want to read a book to understand the Christian understanding of the Old mm-hmm. Testament and of Christ, Paul breaks it down as clearly as possible. The um, one last thing I want to say yeah. about the understanding this book is he's writing to a divided church in ah. Rome. Uh, there was a point in while Paul was traveling around where uh, one of the Caesars uh, drove all the Jews out of Rome because of a fight over um, Christ. Okay. And so he drove all the Jews out. And so for five years in Rome, there were no Jews, but there were still Gentile Christians and Gentile churches. Okay. And so the Gentile churches started to operate and work um, very different from what a Jewish Christian church would look like. Sure. So then the Jews, after five years, were allowed to reintegrate back into Rome. And so these churches started to try to reintegrate, but they were coming up against a lot of cultural um, barriers and disagreements. And so Paul is writing to both these Jewish and Gentile Christian communities and saying, look, you guys are one and the same. You are united. Christ is in both of you. So cool. there we go. Sorry. Well, and I re- recognize, too, that throughout the Old Testament, letters are very important. They're mm-hmm. the primary source of information and edicts, you know, what's mm-hmm. going on. It's through letters and through the, the reading of letters out loud. So this letter was passed around and read to the people. Yes. So again, it's the oral transmission. Mm-hmm. People don't have access to read these things for themselves or study them, so they're being read just like you get a letter. Like, we got a letter from Dad. He's been away, and, mm-hmm. and you read the letter out loud and try mm-hmm. to figure out what he's saying, and that these letters then have become the source for how we understand Christianity. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there's so much going on, and the temptation for me is going to be to try to teach verse by verse, but this is not a teaching you verse by verse show. This is a get you familiar with the story yes. and uh, the main theme. So let's just get into the first chapter, and again, chapters are uh, invented by later people yes. to help understand, to break down the scripture, make it a little more manageable mm-hmm. and memorization and things like that. So Paul, this is just one big letter. And so he does his classic greeting mm-hmm. where he's like, grace and peace I give, I, I give to you, which goes to your idea. Grace is a Greek word, mm-hmm. and that's for the Greek Gentiles. This idea of grace mm-hmm. is all encompassing, like the grace of God. And peace is the Jewish word. Yeah, shalom. shalom. Yep. And so he's saying grace. When you see, when you hear Paul saying grace and peace, he is combining Gentile and Jew, saying we are under a new reign of mm-hmm. Christ where there is grace and there is shalom. Mm-hmm. Good to talk to you guys. And he's saying, um, I'm an apostle of Christ. He gives kind of, he always gives his little resume. Yeah. And again, because he doesn't know anyone. So he right. gives a, 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 a nice little resume of like, this is who I am. 
and this is probably why I, you should listen to me, <laughs> or and why that, I have any authority to write to you. And his longing to see them, his thankfulness, he's always talking about how he proclaimed mm-hmm. the gospel faithfully, mm-hmm. he proclaims it to them, I serve you, and um, mm-hmm. without ceasing, I pray for you. Yes. He, he talks about that. And then... Um, you know, trying to figure out how to break this down without just reading it. I encourage everyone okay. to read it. So the main theme, I would say the main theme of Romans, and I've, I've done some reading about this. Uh, so Romans is not the official, like it's a letter. The yeah. Letters don't have names. Um, yeah, it's like, but one of the things I've been reading was saying that if Paul was to name it, yeah. like the, the natural name for this book and that would encompass it yeah. is The Righteous Shall Live by Faith. Okay. Which is a statement made by Habakkuk, and it's a, a theme. Like he, he's just breaking that down. What does that mean? What does that look like? And he's going, Christ's righteousness is something that we're looking towards, and then that is imparted onto us. Perfect. And in fact, when I was baptized, I was baptized at 14 years old. We had to choose a verse. Yeah. It wasn't assigned. And I chose way back then, I don't know how many years ago, mm-hmm. um, kind of the, the main idea of Romans, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Yeah. So Paul is not ashamed. He's saying you shouldn't be ashamed. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to work things out. It's hard to get along. It's hard to integrate lives and different backgrounds because we're reintegrating under the reign and rule of Christ, mm-hmm. which is the righteousness of God now given to you and me. Right. We have, and it's given by faith. So don't be ashamed of it. Work together and realize this righteousness of God is revealed from faith it's for your faith. So you're going to be living by faith in this because it's a reorientation, a reintegration to life under the reign and rule of the best king ever. Yes. The king who gave himself for you, who actually was exiled from God himself. Because I was just thinking, you know, when Israel and Judah were exiled, God still had a glimmer of hope. He still yeah. followed them into exile. Mm-hmm. When Jesus was exiled, he was left alone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like yeah. Jesus was absolutely, realistically, legitimately exiled by God mm-hmm. On the so cross, that we yeah. would never have to experience that exile again for all those who have faith, unless we choose to enter into that exile. So Romans is, um, the first thing he handles then is God's wrath on unrighteousness. Yeah, so if you're going to talk about righteousness, he starts with law first. Yeah. Like, okay, you got to break down what happens, what does God do with unrighteousness? Yes, and and so we use the categories law and gospel, Mm -hmm. and they go together because law gives you the need, I need to be forgiven. Mm Mm-hmm. But you can't be really forgiven by God unless you've repented. Yeah, or so you, you recognize your need for you it. You gotta yeah. recognize your need to ask for the grace of God. You know, yes. the idea of the grace of God isn't just it's there for you, like whether you realize it or not, it's for those you, you know, I have grace for you if you were to ask me for it. And mm-hmm. I'll be gracious to you anyway, but I'm still gonna make you pay that debt. Yeah, the package is there, you just gotta open it. Right. And so um, this is the, he gets to the core of our unrighteousness. Now sometimes this gets confusing. Because he has to list some examples, right, of yes. sin. And so uh, the core of our unrighteousness is we worship the created things and not the creator. Mm-hmm. 
That's why he says, um, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever mm-hmm. since the creation of the world in the, the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And so he's saying, we're all sinners. Yes. We can see, obviously, this world is under the reign of some kind of creator who There's holds it all There's been a created together. order. There is order. And that's what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. And the order is, you are man mm-hmm. made in, you're a child of God. You are not God. Mm-hmm. There is a God. And this is the first and most basic order of things. And so when you claim to be God and you worship and you exchange the immortal God for mortal images like yes. birds and suns and moons, you are, um, you are rebelling against God and you are unrighteous. Therefore, God has given you up mm-hmm. to these things. He, again, he doesn't want slaves. He wants people who love him in relationship. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to continue to make yourself God and decide what's right and wrong, he turns you over. And his first example is turns you over in your lusts towards... Uh, and again, so he talks about homosexuality here. Mm-hmm. I would say, yes, homosexuality is part of this, but he's talking about the most obvious example of a breach in the created order. Yes. So the created order is God and man. Mm-hmm. The created order is, obviously, men and women yes. making children. Mm-hmm. So we break it by in homosexuality. Mm-hmm. You're, just, you're just kind of doing something that's not part of the... You're outside you're, the bounds of the order. Yeah, you're, you're breaking boundaries. But... So we should say at this point, in Rome, homosexuality is not like that big a deal. Mm-mm. People are like okay with it. Famous, yeah. famous philosophers are homosexuals. Mm. And, and remember, in Israel, you have homosexuality in the temple of God. Back. Not for good. It's male yeah. prostitution. Yeah. Um, you have all this kind of, it's a broken order of sexuality. Yes. So he's just using that as the most basic one. So then the Romans are like, okay, I, I can kind of see that. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul's saying, God will give you up to that, mm-hmm. but it's for your own, um, you lose your mind, like you lose the mind that can see mm-hmm. what is right and wrong. But then he gets to what I think he really wants to get to. Um, you become filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he lumps, it's not just about homosexuality, it's about envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, Gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, who hasn't been that, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. For they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only, not only do, do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Mm-hmm. So he ends chapter one yeah. by saying, uh, I'm using homosexuality to show that the issue is you're breaking the order of things. There's a God and you are not God. Now it bleeds into how we practice things sexually, but don't just get self-righteous and think like, oh, I'm not a homosexual. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Look at yourself. The whole thing is to look at yourself right. and go, how have I broken the natural order? Yes. Have I gossiped? I'm supposed to be a loving person. Have I disobeyed my parents? I was created to uh, honor them. Mm-hmm. Have I uh, been faithless? Have I rebelled against God? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And that's Paul's point here. It's not just against one sin. Mm-hmm. So we can use this to prove that sin. But you remember, it's not hard to prove sin. You're right. It's actually the easiest thing on the earth is to prove and to accuse someone of sin. Yes. And prove why they don't deserve to be called a Christian. Right. So we don't need to engage in that. That's the obvious thing. Paul's just giving us standards. So here's the law. Mm-hmm. I need you all to recognize you're in need of a savior. Mm-hmm. And you're actually in good luck. You're in need of righteousness. You're in need of righteousness. 
So uh, and there's a righteousness that's available for you. Who hasn't been faithless at times? Who hasn't mm-hmm. been disobedient to parents or insolence or gossips or slant? You know, and so um, beautiful passage about the created order, which is a perfect place to start to remind the Jews where they come from mm-hmm. and to invite the Gentiles into one of the greatest things for them is we have one create. There is one God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the answers for the Gentiles is you don't have to worship all these unknown gods and play this game of what's the God of this land? What's mm-hmm. the God of this city? What's the God of this? And, da, 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 da. and you have to, and so that's something that is a reminder for the Jews and a great beauty for the Gentiles. And uh, this is setting up our whole theology. Yes. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. It's a new book. It's a new day. Yay. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the book of Psalms. Yeah. Today I'll be reading Psalm chapter 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of God, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is one who trusts in you. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.